Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. Last Wednesday, uh, a controversial uh, Texas abortion bill, SB8, uh, which was passed by the legislature in May, uh, went into effect. And that same day, the United States Supreme Court uh, denied a challenge to the law. Uh, and uh, it has sparked a national conversation about um, where where things stand now with, with abortion rights. I think there's a, a, a widespread belief that this law in Texas will lead to other law, similar laws in other states and will have the practical effect of taking away a woman's uh, right to choose. And helping us make sense of this today um, is Al Kaufman, who's a St. Mary's University law professor and the former senior litigating attorney for, for MALDEF. Uh, Al, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an important topic. Glad to talk to you about it. It, it seems uh, that that the novelty in SBA, um, this this Texas abortion law, is um, that it basically puts the enforcement responsibility on private citizens. It's not the state enforcing the law. It's saying to private citizens, you have the right uh, under this law to you know, th- uh, sue people, uh, either providers or um, anyone who's assisting someone uh, having an abortion after basically any cardiac activity is detected in the fetus, which is is believed to be about six weeks or so. I mean, is that what stands out and what makes this this law unique in your eyes? Yes, that's very different than any uh, laws I've seen uh, in the his, historically uh, state of Texas and some other states have tried to do things sort of like this, but but never this clearly and strongly. And of course, the the private enforcement is new, uh, but also the the uh, definition of what is uh, a violation of the law has also changed. Uh, I don't think any law has been upheld that that has set the date at six weeks. Uh, from the beginning of the last woman's period. So that's that's a very short amount of time. So I think that the the actual standard for the law is also very different than any of the other laws that have been accepted by the Supreme Court or, or even that other states have passed and, and are in litigation. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on why you think the, the law was crafted in this way so that, that its enforcement is really left up to private citizens. What do you think uh, the writers of this bill had in mind? Well, of course, it's you can't tell exactly, but right, I think right. from reading it that they wanted to avoid uh, court interpretation happening very quickly. I mean, in the past, similar bills have been challenged and and stayed right away. And this one is so different in the force, enforcement mechanisms that uh, I think they they thought, and it sounds so far, uh, they were correct, that it would make it much harder to challenge and strike this sort of uh, prohibition on abortions than uh, the regular uh, statutes. The regular statutes say it's illegal to do something, and and DAs or or the attorney general can enforce it and file criminal sanctions against you, uh, or the state officials can can seek to take the license away from a doctor. Um, but this is very different because it just says individuals uh, can enforce it. So if it had been up to the state, like district attorneys, uh, state attorney, or the, the the AG, so if you wanted to challenge the law, you could simply file suit against the enforcement agency, 
correct? That, that's right. And from a legal point of view, it made all the issues very clear because you can right. say, I am a doctor or a nurse and I'm in jeopardy of immediate criminal prosecution. I take certain acts and the Supreme Court uh, under all sorts of precedent for 100 years would look at that and say, you certainly have the right to bring up these issues and they would review the statute. Um, this is very different and I think was purposely done uh, to make it harder to get at the enforcement mechanisms. You know, one of the arguments against this is that it's, as you say, it's it's kind of kind of an end run around uh, the court precedent in Roe v. Wade, and the, there's a sense that it's you know it's going to have this chilling effect that, that basically all abortion providers, even anyone who would give someone a, a think about giving someone a ride to 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 uh, an abortion clinic, that that all these individuals are going to be so um, concerned about the threat of lawsuit that it's going to have a, a chilling effect that will essentially, you know, ban abortion in this state and, and other states if they, if they try to do the same thing. I mean, is that something that you think is a, a likely outcome of this? Well, apparently it is a likely outcome. Indeed, the, uh, the pro providers like Planned Parenthood have said they're no longer going to perform abortions while this law is in effect. Uh, they cannot subject themselves to, you know, minimum of $10,000 fines and an injunctive relief uh, by anyone who wants to sue them. So uh, it's indeed had that effect. And uh, the the dissent actually in the Supreme Court case, we haven't gotten to, but said specifically that um, the parties who are involved in providing abortion services have, have all said that they will not provide them um at any level, given this, um, given this bill. Now, uh, they, of course, say they'll abide by the law, which means they won't perform any abortion after about six weeks. Uh, but even then, they could be subject to litigation because whether they properly determine the six-week period uh, could be in litigation. Yeah. Do you see the possibility that um, as we go forward that someone, um, let's, uh, who, um, get sued that we actually have a case where someone gets sued over this uh and that person challenges the law uh is there is there any possibility that you could see that this case could go before the supreme court again and we could get a different outcome well yes and of course the supreme court has not decided that this law is constitutional right all the supreme court said was that we're not going to stop it we're going to wait for the uh proceedings in lower court to work their way through so they haven't upheld it. Uh, I, I am sure that this issue will get to the Supreme Court in one way or another. Um, the, the statute talks about bringing these lawsuits by any person against any person. Uh, the statute prevents defendants from bringing up a lot of normal defenses that they would bring up. Um, and I'm sure that persons who... Defendants who are not allowed to bring up these points or, or, or have a judgment against them uh, based on their inability to make certain defendant points are the, the statute itself will certainly challenge it and try to get that back up into the federal court. So I think eventually it will get there. Um, uh, to some extent, what the what the plaintiffs were saying is they understand that these issues are going to be litigated. Uh, they just don't want the effect of the law to be enforced. Uh, until they have a chance at least to bring up their issues. 
you know, one of the things that's, that's interesting, uh, to me about, uh, about the, the, the way this, this issue has played out over the years is, I mean, right now we're seeing a lot of, um, discussion uh, by people on the political right in favor of, of personal privacy, uh, individual rights. We're seeing it when it comes to the issue of whether uh, people are vaccinated or not for the uh, for COVID-19 and or whether they should be required to wear masks. And when you look back at the, the 1973 uh, Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade, you know, the, the court, it, it was argued and accepted by the court, not as an issue of whether there was some inherent right in the constitution for a woman to have an abortion, but that it was an issue of, of individual privacy that, that at the court determined basically, in the, at least in the first three months, that it was purely between uh, a woman and her doctor and that this was kind of an individual privacy um, right. I mean, I, I just was curious what your thoughts are on how that, that issue of individual privacy has, has never been, has not been accepted ever um, by the political right who has, who has fought against Roe v. Wade over the years. Well, there certainly is is inconsistency on on sometimes on all sides in this debate, but right. certainly those who've argued that there's no constitutional right to privacy, uh, which was the basis of the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. Uh, now, this bill, I think, will interfere with person's privacy uh, quite directly in that if a person sees a woman who they suspect is pregnant, going to a Planned Parenthood clinic, um, they and they suspect that the woman's pregnant and they success, suspect that there will be an abortion performed, they can file this lawsuit. So uh, I think the privacy of that woman is certainly going to be interfered with. Now, um, I think privacy is, is sometimes looked at by both sides in debates and sometimes used and misused uh, by both sides. But mm -hmm. I certainly think there's an inconsistency there for those persons who argue that there's no constitutional right of a woman to privacy uh, to pass this law, which I think certainly could interfere with any woman's right to privacy. So somebody who brings uh, a lawsuit under this law, as you read it, can they do that simply on the basis of a suspicion? I mean, do they, do they need any kind of proof that a woman actually received an abortion after, you know, six weeks of pregnancy. Well, now that's, that's a little unclear. That's going to be actually litigated. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I know it's going to be litigated. I promise you. But the law does say that anyone can bring this lawsuit. So the lawsuit, bringing the lawsuit itself will have a very intimidating effect. Now, I don't think they can win, eventually win uh, a, a ruling unless they can show that, um, uh, a doctor or nurse was about to perform an abortion or did perform an abortion in violation of this act. But the act even covers the intent to violate the law. So indeed, if, if I'm reasonably, uh, assume that, uh, a woman is going to a clinic and that the doctor will perform the abortion and that they intend to do so, that is actionable under this statute. Someone can bring a lawsuit on that basis. Now, again, whether eventually the Texas Supreme Court would uphold this or U.S. courts would uphold this, I don't know. But the statute certainly does allow it. And uh, it says if you intend to uh, violate the law. So that sounds almost like criminal law, where if 
four people get together, they intend to murder someone and they conspire to murder someone, uh, that can be a criminal violation. So, uh, but this, this bill specifically gives that action against someone who intends to violate the law. Could you foresee uh, any counterclaims against people who bring these lawsuits, you know, by abortion providers claiming harassment? Uh, I'm sure that they could do that. And I think that that would be a defense that they could argue. Um, the bill is really quite, quite thorough, though. It, it, uh, it prevents defendants who would be the doctors and the nurses and uh, those who aid and abet them. It prevents them from making many defenses that in normal cases you could make. So the defendant in these cases cannot argue that what they were doing is constitutionally uh, protected. They cannot argue that uh, on behalf of a woman who might want a constitutional right, they can't do that according to the statute. So it prevents a lot of those defenses. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, I'm a lawyer, and uh, that doesn't mean that a lawyer will not uh, submit those defenses and try to get them uh uh, into the court and, and then when they are denied, bring that up as an issue. But the way the statute's written, uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, if they are sued, could not bring as a defense that all they were doing is what is constitutionally allowed under, uh, under Roe v. Wade or either for themselves as clinics or they couldn't argue on behalf of the woman who wanted to have the procedure. And that's what the statute, this statute, Senate Bill 8 says that those clinics and defendants could not make those arguments. Right. Is it an extraordinary thing that you have a new state law that actually spells out what defenses aren't permissible if if this winds up in court with a defendant? Or you know, is, this, I, is this kind of typical? There might be one like this. I, I'm not aware of one. I, uh, and generally, the law is, is developed in common law and the statutes are written are fairly even handed. They say someone can bring a lawsuit and other people can bring defenses. So uh, in the normal uh, traffic accident case or breach of contract, uh, there's all sorts of actions the plaintiff can bring, all sorts of de- Defenses the defendant can bring. Uh, this is very one-sided. This this statute basically says the plaintiffs can bring the lawsuit, and they are almost sure to win. Uh, it makes it very hard for defendants uh, to defend themselves. In addition, the plaintiffs can get attorneys' fees mm-hmm. um, yeah. to get this ten thousand dollar award, minimum ten thousand dollars, and and get attorneys' fees. The defendants cannot. Uh, they specifically will not allow. Uh, the defendants to seek attorney's fees uh, in these cases. Getting back to, to Greg's question about harassment, you know, lo- critics of this uh, of this law have, you know, described it as creating uh, what, what some people have referred to as like abortion bounty hunters, people who are kind of now weaponized to uh, kind of spy on others and try to try to determine what's, you know, whether uh, an an abortion is is, is going to take place. We've 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 obviously had threats and even uh, you know violent actions against uh, abortion providers over the years. Are you concerned that this law is going to create a climate which is going to become even more dangerous for for anyone who is either providing or just assisting someone thinking of having an abortion? I think it will uh, put them in some, certainly in legal jeopardy, um, and it might encourage persons who. Uh, are thinking of some sort of uh, assault and battery um, that, well, the state says that 
this violates the law and the state says I can sue. So I have to take whatever actions I can to stop um, this potential abortion from occurring. Uh, but I mean, some, there have been a lot of very peaceful protests as well. I want to be sure. even handed about this. The, the, the uh, abortion opponents have had a lot of peaceful protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, almost all of them have been peaceful outside clinics, et cetera, expressing their points of view. And, and indeed, the Supreme Court has uh, approved of their rights to express themselves and even to try to counsel women against uh, taking the procedure. Mm-hmm. So that's all legal. Yeah. Um, it's hard to go too far to figure out what effect this might have on others, yeah. except clearly the statute does enable any person. It's very broad who can bring mm-hmm. the lawsuit, by the way. It's, it doesn't have to be a person who's most statutes talk about a person aggrieved by this process. This says any person can bring um, the lawsuit and uh, and any person can be sued. So that's going to have to be worked out. But certainly, it will encourage a lot of people to file a lot of lawsuits and it will have a lot of people sued. Al, is it clear to you, like if there if there's an individual who decides, you know, it's now become basically impossible to have an abortion in the state of Texas and they decide to go to another state, let's say they decide to drive to New Mexico. Um, is it clear to you uh, what, how this, this law would handle a situation like that. If someone say gets a ride from someone to, to cross into another state, um, with the intent of having an abortion, is this law going to apply in any way to that? You know, I, it, it is not clear to me. Um, I do think that, uh, given this statute, someone could bring a lawsuit against, um, Mr. Jones, who advised, uh, Miss Smith to go to Albuquerque um, to have an abortion and then paid Mrs. Smith's way to Albuquerque mm-hmm. um, if it looked like it was after the sixth week. Um, I'm not going to say that that would work all the way through the court system, be upheld, but certainly this statute leaves that sort of approach open. And you might say, and I said myself, I talked to a colleague about this this morning, uh, what, what would happen about that out-of-state situation? Well, I mean, uh, under the criminal law, if if the three of us were to uh, say that we wanted to go uh, create some criminal violation in Albuquerque uh, and we plan it here and we get together and we get into a car to drive to Albuquerque, mm-hmm. that could certainly be a criminal conspiracy mm-hmm. um, and could be actionable. Um, and, you know, under the criminal law, probably should be if the three of us are planning to go Right. Uh, kill someone in Albuquerque. So um, I I just don't know how that'll work out. I, I think that those cases will be brought. Um, I, I I don't know how the Supreme Court, the Texas Supreme Court would find those or how the U.S. Supreme Court would find those. There are just lots of issues here. Uh, all I can say is that I think the statute was carefully and, and, and carefully written mm-hmm. to uh, make it clear to anyone involved in the process of uh, performing or aiding or abetting um, this choice by the woman uh, is certainly open to litigation. And uh, it's going to be some long, hard fights in the courts on these sorts of issues you and I are talking about. As you read the law, you know, we've we've heard a lot about, uh, you know, say, say a woman takes an Uber or Lyft you know, vehicle to her appointment at Planned Parenthood or takes a cab. 
And they, you know, the, the driver may not necessarily be aware of why she's going to Planned Parenthood or, you know, any other medical office. Uh, as you read it, like, are they, are they, you know, could they be punished under this law? Like, could they, could well, they have to hand over a bunch of money? I'll put it this way. I think someone could bring a lawsuit against them. I just, I just have too much respect for the court systems of Texas and the United States to believe that would ever be upheld if a driver uh, took someone there. Now, uh, you know, someone would defend on the facts. If the plaintiff could show that, that uh, Ms. Smith went to the Uber driver and and told the Uber driver where she was going and asked for help to get there. And the Uber driver uh, took her and said, here you are. And um, theoretically, under this law, they could be sued. I don't think that would ever be upheld in the courts. Um, But I'm not sure we'd be dismissed on the pleadings. I don't mean to be too legal with you, but if if you file a claim that has no basis in the law, it can be dismissed on the pleadings. If it might have a basis, you could pursue it and go on to litigation. So uh, I think a lot of these arguments people bring up are things that could be brought uh, under the statute. It's it's incredibly broad and and incredibly one sided. Um, before we wrap things up, Al, I want to talk to you a little bit about another bill that came up during the session that has gotten national attention. Um, last week, um, after two uh, quorum breaks from Texas House Democrats, uh, in a special session, second special session, we had a restrictive election bill passed. Texas has joined many other uh, states this year in um, passing uh, legislation that it restricts the the voting process. Could you talk a little bit about what you think the primary effects of this uh, of this new law will be? Well, of course, there will be. There have already been cases filed about this. Uh, they'll certainly go to litigation. Uh, I think it's going to create a lot of confusion. It's going to support a lot of lawsuits. There'll be there's so much new paperwork required in Senate Bill 1 uh, that if someone wants to bring a lawsuit saying that the absentee balloting process had been misused or that uh, persons are not properly advising uh, bilingual or disabled persons, uh, there'll be a lot of fodder for lawsuits. And I think that that certainly is going to happen. I do think it's going to discourage, it'll certainly discourage a lot of people voting by absentee ballots because it prevents county clerks from sending out notices to people saying you have the right to ask for a absentee ballot. If you're, if you're a proper authorized voter, you can ask for absentee ballot and you meet the standards, you can get it. You can't do that anymore. I, I, yeah. I want to ask you about that. Cause I mean, obviously there are other things which are, uh, you know, have gotten a lot of attention, the, the elimination of drive-through voting and, and 24 hour voting with things that we saw during the, the 2020 election cycle uh, to help, make voting easier uh, during the pandemic. But this, I've, I've talked a lot about this because it's, it's, I find it really hard for anyone to make the argument. Um, even the supporters of this, this bill to make the argument that this is about voter integrity. When we're, you're saying to county, uh, to, to counties that they cannot send unsolicited mail ballot applications. You can't, I mean, this is just an application for a, for a mail ballot. People still have to fill it out get it approved before they receive the actual ballot. And this law is telling counties, you can't, you can't send those out. Um, what, what do you make of that? Well, I, I do think it, it, it will have certainly have the effect of decreasing 
the number of people who will vote. Uh, there are a lot of people who, especially during the pandemic, wanted to vote absentee and did, and it's going to discourage that and, and decrease uh, those numbers. Um, uh, I think th- there's a lot of uh, partisan political points that can be made here about persons who looked at the effects of the 2020 election and did not like the pattern that they saw um, and were trying to discourage these processes which were leading to more people and indeed more diverse people uh, voting. Um, but that's that gets pretty pretty quickly into the partisan arguments, but it's not just a partisan argument, really. It's a, it's actually a racial argument. I worked at Mexican American Legal Defense Fund for a long time, and and I sued a lot of good Democrats uh, and a lot of good Republicans about voting and education, and both parties have taken advantage of the law for their own purposes, and this appears to be just that, and if you look at the, the results of the elections in Harris County, an incredible number of people use these procedures, voted absentee more than in the past, uh, took advantage of the 24-hour open uh, uh, voting, uh, took advantage of the the temporary structures that were set up for drive-through voting. Uh, and I mean, all those were new and, and, and initiatives and imaginative, and now they'll be stopped. And I, uh, it's hard not to see some partisan uh, lens going on there. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we'll wrap things up on that note. Al uh, Kaufman, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I learned a lot preparing for this. It's a very important <laughs> issue. I hope people watch it closely. And I, I do recommend that anyone, regardless of their general views on mm-hmm. right to abortion, uh, read this SB8. That's the statute. And and I think it's, right. uh, it's, it's quite an amazing bill and deserves a study. I agree. Well, thank you so much. And uh, for everyone listening in, we hope you're all doing well and we'll be back with you next week. Take care. Thank you. I enjoyed doing it and enjoyed visiting with you and Greg. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot. Thank you, Al.